Tired of asking why? Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast, where we are answering life's most difficult questions. Now, here's your host, Teresa Blaze. Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast. I'm Teresa Blaze, and today I got a really cool guest with us. His name is David Arthur. Uh, he helps run I Belong Amen. Dot com. David, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Teresa. It's good to be on. Well, we're glad to have you. How did you get to where you are today? Let's let's put it that way. Only by the power of the cross. <laughs> I started out on a really rough road, even, be, even while I was in the womb. My father committed suicide just before I was born. And so I was born. I had no dad. And growing up, I... I strived and I longed for that um, that male affirmation, that male confirmation. And there just so happened to be men that were in my life that, that actually preyed on the fact that I desired male attention. And so I was molested as a child a few times, a few different people. But it got to the point for me that I, uh, I associated male affirmation and love with engaging in sexual activity, which oh, took boy. me, yeah, which took me by the age of eight, nine years old, I was, I was cutting school. I know a lot of people were, were playing uh, baseball and playing in the playground and cops and robbers. But at eight, nine years old, I was cutting school and hanging out in public bathrooms and at public bus stops waiting for some dirty old man to come along. Because I just desired male contact, male affirmation, male male confirmation, and um, that's all I knew. So by the age of thirteen, I overdosed on pills. I had been introduced to alcohol and drugs at probably ten or eleven. After um, overdosing on pills, my mother was at her wit's end with me, and she took me to um, out of New Jersey and into Philadelphia which for me at 14 years old, I'm in Philadelphia, it's out of the frying pan into the fire. And so my mother said to me, because I, I, I noticed as a child, Teresa, that, that the more feminine I acted, the more attention I received. And I would look at my mom and my auntie and, and the women in my, in my family, and I would see how they acted to get male attention, male affirmation. And so I figured I, I must just have been born in the wrong body because I'm supposed to act like that. I'm supposed to be a girl. And so I noticed the more feminine I acted, the more attention I received. And it got to the point where I wanted to wear makeup and girls clothes. And my mom told me at 14 years old, she said, and, and then my mom wasn't a Christian, but it was the very nature of her as a mother that said to me, I had a son. I did not have a daughter. You will not be Paige. You will be David. You will not um, wear dresses and makeup and under this roof. And if that's what you choose to do, then you have to find another roof to do it under. And so at 14 years old, I ran away. And, and I was a runaway living on the streets of Philadelphia. I was uh, prostituting myself, and if I wasn't selling it or giving myself away, I was trading myself for drugs or a place to stay. I was on female hormones at 14 um, that I would buy on the streets and in the nightclubs. But 
at 14 years old, I was also HIV positive. I went to my peers, other transgenders and other homosexuals, and, and I said to them, I'm HIV positive. What am I going to do? And, and they looked at me and they said, so what? So are we. And one said, you know what? The one that gave it to you didn't care. So don't you care who you give it to? Matter of fact, get as many as you can. And so here I am, 14 years old. I'm angry. I'm angry that my mother don't want to embrace my thoughts and, the, and feelings, don't want to embrace my, my death style. I can't call it a lifestyle anymore. Sorry. And, but, uh, and I'm just angry at the world. And, and so what else to do but to take that anger out by trying to intentionally and purposely infect as many people as possible with HIV? And, wait, wait, um, wait, wait, wait. Let's back up here. So you're telling me that they told you to deliberately go out and, and, and pass on something that would kill people? Absolutely. It was um, that was their frame of mind and it became my frame of mind. You know, their idea was, hey, the one that gave it to you didn't care. So don't you care who you give it to? And matter of fact, take them, take them all out. Take out as many as you can. So that was my mind frame at 14 years old. I mean, most people, you know, 14 years old, they're, they're going into high school and they're, they're learning and then they're looking forward to college and prom and dances. And me, I just wanted to be the best hooker that I could possibly be because that's all I knew. And that's all I desired. That's all my, I, 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 I lived off of the desires of my flesh and, um, and my thoughts and feelings, you know, that's where that's where the enemy gets us is on, in our emotions and, and our thoughts. That's where I, I dwelled at. I dwelled in my thoughts and emotions. So I, I could I couldn't even begin to tell you um, about my teenage my later teenage years in my twenties because it's really just all a blur. I prostituted all over the country. I was in and out of um, county jails, in and out of juvenile detention centers until I turned 18, and then in and out of adult facilities. And it wasn't until I was uh, gushed into my 30s, it was my second time in prison, that I had been living as a woman for many years. And a lot of people, they find this kind of uh, difficult to believe when they meet me. But there was a, a point in time. You know, when I, I lived and looked and acted and sounded like a woman and um, my second time in prison and it, it's all about the attention, you know, and you can pretty much see that when you see people that are in this movement nowadays, they just want to be noticed. They want to be the center of attention. And so I wanted to be the center of attention. And so here I was a man in a man's prison with breasts. And I'm cheerleading on the on the recreation yard of the prison. And this correctional officer sees me and he says, um, come here. And I went up and I was like, yeah. And he says, um, what's your name? I said, my name is Paige. He said, no, no, no. What's the name that your mama gave you? And I looked at him and I was like, David. And, and he said, well, David, he said, do you know that God didn't create you to be this way? And I was offended at that truth. I was offended. My, my feelings were hurt. And I was angry all at once. And I wanted to attack him. And he said to me, God didn't even intend for you to look like this. He said, I'm going to tell you this every day because I can. And he did. He told me every day. Every day he would tell me, God didn't create you to be this way, David. And it, it only took a few weeks. 
that I started seeking him out on the compound. We called him Bishop, and I don't and I don't remember his name, but I remember his, that we called him Bishop. He was a correctional officer. Yes, he was a guard, and he was very Christian, and everybody knew it. He witnessed to inmate the same way he witnessed to fellow officer. He didn't treat anybody differently, and that's what stood out about him that was different. Within a couple of weeks, I was looking for him. Within a few weeks, I wanted to talk to Bishop. I'm like, where is Bishop? I need to talk to him. What was it about what he was saying that was causing that change of mind? What I knew was that there was a man that stood before me for the first time in my entire life. And I knew without a shadow of a doubt that he loved me, true and pure. For the first time, I knew what love was. And he didn't want anything from me. He didn't want to use me, abuse me, kick me while I'm down. He didn't want to profit off of me. He just wanted to love me. And he wanted me to understand this truth. And I had never experienced that before. And so I'm looking for him on the compound now to talk to him. And he's telling me Bible stories. And, and, and my mom had sent me a Bible while I was in prison. And, and all I ever read was Psalms. That was it. Nothing else, nothing more. Um, just Psalms because they were supposed to be inspirational. I never got anything from it. Um, the word meant absolutely nothing to me because I was lost. But Bishop, the love that he had with that convicting, penetrating truth that angered me, the truth that offended me, the truth that that really just ticked me off and, 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 and set me off sometimes. It was that that pierced my heart. It was that that began um, to that, that transformation. He definitely planted the seed. He watered it every chance he got. And, and when I got out of prison, I would love to be able to say that, you know, I just started reading the word and following the way. And but that's not true. Uh, just like a dog, I returned to my vomit. And um, there was a difference, though. Here I was for the first time in my life, especially my adult life, that I did not feel comfortable any longer dressing like a woman. I no longer felt comfortable being Page, the person that I had been for for so many years. And that was different for me. It was disturbing. But now that I look back, I like to know that, you know, Bishop planted the seed, he watered it, and God started to cause an increase. But I had to learn how to live as David again. I had to I had to learn how to be David again. And so from 2006 to 2009, that's what I was. I was David, but I was still in that death style. I was still engaging in the same activity. I was still, and I added things like gambling and, and selling drugs and all types of other things. I was, I was a drug user. I was an alcohol abuser. I was um, addicted to sex, addicted to gambling. There were so many things in my life that just were wrong. And in about 2008, I was stricken down with full-fledged osteoporosis, and my bone density was almost gone. I couldn't stand up straight. I couldn't walk without a walker, and it was due to all the hormones that I had taken, all the trauma I had put my body through, even the clothes that weren't designed for a man's body that I, that I had wore all my life, the shoes, everything, every little aspect played a part in this osteoporosis and my bone density was almost gone. They were worried that I was going to just snap something. My bones were so brittle, but 
here I am dragging myself around on a walker, but even that didn't stop me from wanting to fulfill the lust of my flesh, from from going to the casinos and to the nightclubs and to the sex parties. That didn't even stop me. I would drag myself there in pain, just take a whole bunch of pain pills and then go. That couldn't stop me. So here in 2009, I was stricken down with full Mm, full-blown AIDS. I had no immune system. The virus had taken over my body. I had infections in my brain and in my blood. And I had, the infections were, were so plentiful that they were trying to fight their way out of my body by way of boils. And I had boils all over my body. I was always running a fever because of all the infection. And I could no longer get around with the, the infections in my brain and blood, it caused me to have like multiple mini strokes to where I would be dizzy and or, or having these mini strokes all the time. And so the doctor gave me less than three months to live and he told me I didn't even have to take the medication anymore because there was no hope. And so they put a hospital bed in my very own bedroom and gave me all the niceties that you need to die in peace. and. And they put hospice in place and, and told my mother to, to make arrangements. And I praise God that my mom could never find it in herself to make my arrangements. But I knew two things as I laid there in that hospital bed. I knew that I was afraid to die. And I knew that I was afraid to die because I didn't want to go to hell because I knew that I was going to hell. I knew that the life I had lived was wrong. I knew that there was nothing normal about the way I had been living my life. I picked up the word of God and it was that same Bible that my mom sent me that had been sitting on my nightstand ever since I got out of prison that I had never picked it up. And I picked it up and I opened it and I opened it to Romans chapter one and the very first the very first verse I read was verse 27, and it told me that not only was I living sinfully, but I was living unnaturally. It said that the men were burning in lust for one another, giving up the natural use of the woman. And so now I knew that not only was I living sinfully, but I was living unnaturally. And I just cried out to God, and I said, Lord, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. I started diving into his word and reading and absorbing all that I could. And his word was so detailed and so precise to me that I knew I had to be just as detailed and just as precise in my repentance and my confessions to him. And I spent weeks, weeks upon weeks, reading and praying and reading and, and repenting and reading and confessing and reading and and. and praying again and reading and reading and reading and absorbing and, and reaching out to him. And I know, you see, I was in excruciating pain. I was in pain from, from my bones, from the, from the, the osteoporosis, from the inside out to the boils on the outside of my body. And I was on all kinds of opioids and pain medications that hardly touched the pain. But I know I woke up one morning and I was kind of confused because I was in so much pain and physically I was just miserable, but I had peace and I had joy in my heart. 
And I didn't understand that. I didn't understand how I could be in so much pain and yet for the first time in my life know what rest meant. And see, I never asked God to heal me. I just told him that I didn't want to go to hell. I had accepted that my life was over, that I was going to die. I accepted that. That was my, that was my truth. That was my, a fact, my reality. And at that moment, I was no longer afraid to die. And I knew that I wasn't going to hell. Because of the repentance and the continuing to confess your sin. To, to G, I mean, that's wow. He had given me a peace that I had never known. And I cried out to him and I said, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Please take me home. Please take me home. I don't want to be here. I don't want to live like this. I don't want to feel like this. I don't want to look like this. And I don't want to be this. I just don't want to be. And I said, but I just have one request. My request is that through my death, you can be glorified. That through my death, somebody in my family, my mom, my sister, somebody will come to know you through my death. So what happened going from there? From that moment on, I, I began to um, I began to just like <laughs> get up out of the bed. <laughs> I started standing up straight. Within days, I was using a cane and then no, no cane. And then within days after that, I was walking around the house and, and then the boils started just dissipating and drying up. And So you're telling me God completely healed you? Yeah. I'm telling you that not only did I not have any, I didn't have a pastor or a church praying for me. I didn't have anybody laying hands on me. I just had a hungry heart. And the Lord said that he, uh, I had a spark of faith. I was hopeless, but I had a spark of faith. And he honored that measure of faith. Because when the, the hospice nurses came out to my home to, 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 to do my blood work, to withdraw my blood, they were like, wow, David, this is amazing. You'll be able to come into the office for the results. And then the nurse practitioner called me and says, David, you can, can you come in? I was like, absolutely. And so I went in. And the nurse practitioner said to me, David, Dr. Z is not going to come in this office. She said, because he can't give you a scientific explanation for what's happening to you. And I said, well, what's happening to me? And she said, I have to tell you this. We don't know what the infections were exactly. And we don't know where they're at because you no longer have these infections in your blood. But the most amazing thing, David is that we've never seen a viral load as high as yours in this office outside of a textbook. She said, especially with no immune system, with zero T cells, which are your good cells. She says, but not only that, she said, we have never even heard of anyone with numbers that high becoming undetectable this soon, this so quickly. She's like, it's almost impossible. She said, but you're undetectable. We cannot detect the virus in your system. 
And of course, I, I asked, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm negative? And she said, well, I can't tell you that because medically and scientifically, once positive, always positive. She said, but what I can tell you is that this is a medical miracle and never have I seen this happen or heard of this happening? She says, but we can't detect the virus in your system. And so from there, it just got better and better and gooder and gooder, as I always say. I moved right after that. I was so well known down in, in Philadelphia, New York and New Jersey. I was an advocate for the LGBT movement. I just wanted to get out of that area. And so we moved to Maine. When I got to Maine, I had to switch all my doctors and everything. Now, now I had also been diagnosed with PTSD, bipolar anxiety, um, chronic depression, sleeping disorders. I was on a slew of, of medications for those as well. And when I, when I was healed, I stopped taking everything. I put all medications down. Um, I had also had diabetes, had diabetes. I put that medication down as well. But when I got to Maine and I went to my new doctor and they did a bone density test and I went in to get the results and she said, David, there's been a mistake. And I'm thinking, great, I'm not undetectable. What's the mistake? And she said, the mistake is that none of these bone density tests that are in the medical file that came with you can be yours. I said, well, what do you mean? And she says, well, she's like, this, these tests show the bone density almost gone. The one we just did says that your bone density is better than that of a man your age should be. I said, well, that's God. And she said, no, it's a mistake. And, and, and I looked at her and I said, no, I said, the mistake was me coming here when I've already seen the physician. I've already been touched by the doctor. And I walked out of there just knowing, you know, that even with all of the, the depression and, 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 and the sleeping disorders and bipolar and all of those things, that I was able to put it down. I don't advocate anybody ever not taking medication that's prescribed to them, but that's what I did because I knew the Holy Spirit gave me peace in knowing and understanding that the depression and the anxiety and all of that, those were results and symptoms of being in the world, but they weren't disease. They were symptoms of being in the world, and I was no longer of this world, and I no longer had those symptoms. You said that you were an advocate for the LGBT uh, community, and nowadays, if you look at what they're, what they're, what they're advocating, um, I mean, just recently, they passed a bill outlawing the Bible because of, of that it's in uh, California because it's hate speech, if, if I recall right. So let me ask you this. Knowing what you know and living the lifestyle you lived and seeing the difference between what you lived and what you are now, a new creation in Christ, what should we as Christians be aware of when dealing with people that are such almost militant advocates for the, for the uh, community? What I can say is that I was recruited. What we call molested I was, is what the LGBT movement calls recruiting. And so I was recruited into that movement. Explain that, please. So you're saying you're talking about full on child abuse or pedophilia, correct? Yes, that is recruiting to the LGBT movement. It is called recruiting. And and now I became a recruiter, which means, yes, I became a molester. And I started recruiting 12, 13, 14, 15 year old boys into that movement. 
this is not only, and, and there's no excuse, but this is not only what I knew, but all that I've seen while I was in that movement. I watched these young boys and girls be sucked into that movement, be lured in and seduced in with money and drugs and material things. And, and I watched them be used up, profited off of, passed around. And then when they were no more good, they were tossed out like common garbage. And then they would just go into the same cycle. They would become prostitutes and hustlers on the street. And they would get involved in the porn industry. And they would become recruiters and recruit the young people in. And it's a vicious cycle. And I'm not saying that every single person that's ever gotten involved in the LGBT movement is a pedophile. But I am saying that they have been a, a part of that pedophilia movement as either a victim or a victimizer or both. It's played a part in, that, in their life in some way, shape, or form. I call it the LGBTP movement, P for pedophile, mostly when I speak of it. And that's because I want people to understand the impact and the magnitude that this movement has when when they're trying they are every single place in our communities where youth gather they are in our schools our elementary schools they're teaching them they're indoctrinating them and so in their eyes they're recruiting them and that's what they call it within that movement they call it recruiting and you know, it's, it's, it's not much different than other movements. Look at the Islamic movement. The Islamic does, movement does the same thing. They go online into chat rooms and they look for these, for these youth that are so distraught and so lonely and have so many emotional problems because they are victims of being uh, in this world and they prey on them. And it's the same thing with the LGBTP movement. They do the same thing. This death style is celebrated. It's affirmed and confirmed everywhere we go within our communities. And, and when you tell them the truth, they don't have to listen to it because there's the option of going to a celebrating, affirming, and I hate to use the word, but church. For lack of a better word, they're going to these buildings, they're flying these rainbow flags, these pride flags, which, which really just represent pride in deviant sexual behavior. And they're going to these places because these places are affirming their thoughts and emotions. There's no longer any truth, any reality, because if you don't like the reality that you are, are given, then you can think or feel it away and you can be the you can be your own god of your own universe and it's okay in in the world doesn't that go back to genesis 3 has god really said and then when he told the serpent what what was said he's like you won't eat you know god knows if you eat this tree you'll be like god i mean that it seems to me that that line of reasoning and that line of thinking has been fed to uh, hapless people for thousands of years. Absolutely. And right now we see the movement as dark and as powerful as it's ever been because from the 70s on, when they've created these gay rights platforms and the, the homosexual manifesto, which the homosexual manifesto 
So it was a printed version of the homosexual agenda. And it starts off saying, we will sodomize your son. And the last sentence says, tremble, hetero swine, when we stand before you without our masks. And see, there's a lot of things that we have to start doing. We need to know that words matter. Words matter. We can't use their words because their words appease them. So words matter. So me, I won't use homosexual as an orientation because homosexuality is not an orientation. It is not a sexual preference. It's a sin. And we know this because heterosexuality is the absolute only sexuality that exists in God's eyes, which is how we should be looking at things through God's lens. And so as we look at this world, we should see and speak on the death style because there's no way that sin is a lifestyle. You know, there's no way that being separated from Jesus Christ is a lifestyle. It's, it's, a, it's a death style, and we need to make people know and aware and accept the fact that it's a death style. We need to let people know that the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality, that the opposite of homosexuality is free, free from the bondage of sin, it's holy, it's redeemed, it's sanctified, it's justified, but it is not heterosexuality. Bisexuality does not exist because if you are a man and you lay with another man, and it doesn't matter if one of those men feel like they shoulda, coulda, woulda, wanna be, can pay to be, or feel like, or dress like the opposite sex, sex, they're still a man. And so if you're a man and you lay with a man, you're guilty of the sin of homosexuality. If you're a man and you lay with a woman outside of wedlock, you're guilty of the sin of fornication and in some cases adultery, which means that bisexuality does not exist because if it does, then homosexuality is an orientation and we know that it's not. We know that it is an abomination because it is a direct and deliberate attack on God's very good creation from the very beginning. I mean, it's really, it's an attack just against his God's very thought of creation. The thought before he spoke it into existence, that is what homosexuality exists or, or attacks. And that's why sodomy is a crime against nature. And so we use these words, homosexual, gay. There's nothing gay about living in that death style. There's nothing gay about living in any death style. Gay is happy. Gay does not mean that you are totally separated from God and, 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 and living in a death style. So we have to know that words matter and that we need to start using God's words. And, and I, don't, I, I don't advocate standing out there calling a bunch of um, sodomites, sodomites, because I know from when I lived in it that that wouldn't have helped. But what I do advocate is telling that honest, harsh, piercing truth, because we have to not want to, we can't worry about our feelings and emotions, because see, I don't know anybody that doesn't have a, a, a friend, a loved one, a family member, coworker, neighbor, something that is trapped in the LGBT movement. And since I, and since I know this, 
we don't want to offend them. We don't want to hurt their feelings, but that's exactly what we need to do if we truly love them and we truly care about them, then we offend them with the truth. And if they walk out of our life, so be it. But if that seed grows, if God causes the increase of that seed that we plant, then that person will come back into our lives and say, thank you so very much for, for, for loving me enough to hurt me and, and offend me and, and, and not worry about if I liked what you had to say or not. You know, we're loving people to death. Literally, we're loving them to hell because we don't want to tell them the truth because we don't want to offend them or hurt their feelings. And that's totally unacceptable. The more I have done these interviews and and seen how God is answering some of these difficult questions of people, whether uh, it be dealing with uh, uh, the death style that you refer to or other questions, a lot of times what I see is, we don't want you. I mean, and, and, and am I wrong for thinking this way? The goal at first of the community, the LGBT community, was at first we just want our rights. And now it's not only do we want our rights, but we want you to accept and condone. Otherwise, we will beat you over the head with uh, legalese. Absolutely. And see, that's the thing. It was, it's never, it was never about the rights. Like, just like um, the, the whole homosexual marriage ordeal. It was never about being able to legally get married. It was just about laying the foundation. Because see, the LGBT movement over the last 40 years, what it's done within its agenda, it has absorbed the feminist movement, the racial racist movement, the, uh, the abortion movement. And, and then recently, in the, in, the, in the recent years, it's absorbed the Islamic movement. And so what it's done by advocating for each of those movements and absorbing them, it's made itself a greater, darker mass than it's ever been. The LGBT movement is the darkest, deadliest mass that this planet has ever seen. Because it consists of the feminist movement, the racist movement, the, the leftist movement, the, the abortion movement, and now the Islamic movement. So wait a second. Don't th- doesn't it in Islam say uh, the Quran actually speaks against homosexuality? So explain that one. Right. But see, Muslims are have been guilty of pedophilia and homosexuality ever since the beginning of their um, their false religion. But they've always kept it amongst themselves. I've, I've counseled many men that have come out of Islam that have told me about the pedophilia and how they, how they were used as boys. Because, see, the Quran also says, and I don't know if it's the Quran or the Hadith, the Hadith that, that people have sent me different um, excerpts, that they also say the, the Muslims live by the rule that it is okay to engage in sex with a young boy before he hits puberty, and then it is not considered homosexuality. It's only considered homosexuality if he has, if he has hit the age of puberty or, or the uh, bodily function of puberty. And so they also have something about the little girls and how it's okay before a certain age and she'll remain a virgin. It's all so that they can perform pedophilia and homosexuality, but they don't call it homosexuality or pedophilia because they have these, they have their own special rules or, or laws that they live by 
that tell them that it is okay as long as the little boy hasn't hit puberty yet, then it's not homosexuality. And so this is what the laws they live by. So this is why it was no problem for the LGBT movement to absorb them as well and start advocating for them because they just recently, within the last month or two, have opened up an LGBT mosque in New York. You know, it's a gay-friendly mosque. I mean, it doesn't get any um, oxymoronic than that, you know, because you're talking about, oh, yeah, well, three years ago, when you thought of Islam and Muslims, you thought, okay, they would behead homosexuals because homosexuality is an abomination. But or throw them off the roof, right? right yeah. These same men are guilty of homosexuality and pedophilia themselves because that's what they've done. I, I just last year had a, a young man. He he was he's living in Portugal right now and he came out of the the Muslim faith and, and he told me, he says, you know, there were times when he was eight, nine and ten years old when in the mosque as he was bent over to pray that there were men taking turns with him sexually while he was praying in the mosque. That is disgusting. I'm sorry. That is like very disgusting. It is absolutely disgusting, but it's absolutely normal for Muslims. It's absolutely normal to them. And it's absolutely normal for those who live in the LGBTQ movement. It is normal because the reason it's normal is because they have desensitized America they're desensitized already because it was already done to them. So they're desensitized. But they've desensitized America, which has been part of their, their plan. Like I said, it's not about the right. It's about laying the foundation because, see, now that the movement has laid the foundation, now the pedophile movement can rise up using that very same legal foundation because now they can't be discriminated against either. See, in 1972, homosexual in the APA book, the American Psychiatric Association book became, it went in 1972, it went from a mental disorder to a sexual orientation. What a lot of people don't know is that in 2012, pedophile was in the APA book as a mental disorder. In 2013, they changed the wording to legally say an adult child relationship, which is preparing the way for them to call it a sexual orientation. And once they call it a sexual orientation, then pedophiles will have the same rights that homosexuals have right now that everybody else. Have. Actually, they have more rights because they have special rights. See, because like I said, it's not about the rights because we're all born with our rights as American citizens and as, as children, or not as creation of God. We have our God-given rights to marry somebody of the opposite sex. But see, homosexuals want their God-given right and then a special right. They want their American rights and then extra rights. The same right that they want to silence you will be the exact same right they want so that they can speak out against you. And so it's not about the rights. It's about who has the rights because they want anyone who opposes them to have no rights. But see, it's not just 
just everybody. They don't just, homosexuals don't just want everybody to say that their deeds are okay and, 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 and what they're doing is normal. They specifically want Christians to do so because they know that's where the condemnation comes in at. See, because we're all, God has placed that truth within all of us. God has put the truth in each one of us, whether we live in it or not. He's put it there, which is why you see all of these LGBTP movements where they get so mad and so angry and they're so vicious and nasty and malicious. It's because of conviction. They know the truth. The truth is in them. God's put it there. So they deny the truth. See, like me, when I lived in that movement, I have physically attacked people, physically attacked people, hurt people just to prove to them how happy I was and how content I was with my choices. Let me ask you this then. If I had come up to you when you were in that movement and I had said, you know what? I love you, but what you're doing is a sin. What would your response have been to a person like me? I can easily tell you what I've done. Man or woman, I have physically attacked people. I have hurt people for for trying to to preach to me and i i have one very clear um incident in my head where three christians came across the street and it was late i was on the corner i was prostituting and they didn't even open their mouth before i looked at them and i put my hand in my bag grabbed my knife and i said to them i said you say a word to me i'm gonna gut you like a fish and the horrible thing is is that i was serious and they didn't say a word to me they just kept on going to the next corner and I have there's so many instances see I, I looked like a woman and lived as a woman and, and, and when men would approach me at the mall or on the street or wherever and I would say uh, well I'm a man you know because just them being attracted to me wasn't enough for me so I had to really put a spectacle, be the spectacle and say, well, guess what? I'm a man. Now, what do you want to do? Because I was just so miserable. There was no finding that joy. There was nothing else. You know what I mean? There was no content. I would physically and verbally attack people just to show them that I was happy and content, which is, which evidently shows that I'm, I wasn't. You know, and so that's why we have such anger. When we look at this movement and we see them marching or we see them at a parade, they are angry and confused. And God is a God of order and he is not a God of um, anger and confusion. And so we have to know that every single thing that they are standing up against is every little ounce, every little iota of what God has put in each of us. All we have to do is press forward and continue to tell the truth. Remain to tell the truth. Just do nothing but tell truth. Do it because we love God and we honor man. And the scripture doesn't say honor good men or bad men. It says love God and honor men. And so that's all, that's all I can do is love God. And because I love God, I honor men and I tell them the truth whether it hurts, whether it causes them to, to want to hit me, spit on me, smack me, walk out of my life, I don't care. But I'm going to tell you the truth because I love you. And that's what we 
as Christians, that's what we have to do. If we truly love God and love the truth, we have to honor him by honoring his, his creation. And I think also, you know, we have to be aware of just how, I mean, I think to an extent, there are some Christians that go, yeah, I know it's bad, but I don't think they realize how bad it is. And I think to an extent, I think we have to be aware because you have to call the darkness and expose it to the light. Exactly. And that's why I do what I do, because all my goal My goal isn't even really evangelism as much as it is exposing the darkness, exposing this movement and what they're doing from the inside out. If I can expose their goal is to recruit children and make one parent aware. If I can make one parent pull their child out of public school, then it's all worth it to me. Let me ask you this. What can the Christians that might be listening to this, what can they take away from this? The impact and the magnitude of the gift that God has given us because it it matters and truth matters. And that if you truly love somebody that you're not going to love them to death, literally loving them to hell, but you're going to love them to life and in truth. And if you do that, that's where that I mean, that's all we're supposed to do. There's such a blessing in that, because if we plant that seed or if we water a seed that somebody else has already planted and it's not going to be what they want to hear. And we don't embrace it. These parents these days, they're embracing this, this death style, this sin. They're embracing it. They're, they're encouraging it. A child says, mommy, I want to have a beer. No, you're just a kid. Mommy, can I go to the nightclub? No, you're just a kid. Mommy, I want to go vote. No, you're just a kid. Mommy, I want to go in the army. No, you're just a kid. Mommy, I think I want to be a girl. Well, let's go schedule you a doctor's appointment and get you some puberty blockers. You know, there, we will not allow children to make life altering or life changing decisions, but we'll let them choose what gender they are, which is the absolute only thing that they have no control over. We have absolutely no control over what gender we are. We are either male or female. There is no in-between. There is no um, added on. There is no agender, cisgender. There is no pangender. There is only male or female as God created them from the very beginning. And what if perhaps there is someone who is listening, who is caught up in this in this horrible lifestyle, and maybe they're listening and they're hearing your story and they're and they're maybe they're getting angry, maybe they don't like what we what we said, or maybe maybe they're listening. What would you what would you say to them? I would say I challenge you to go to I Belong Amen Ministries on Facebook and contact me, or go onto the website and hit contact and contact me. That's it. I just challenge you to contact me because I know exactly what they're seeking. Teresa, I know what I was seeking. I know the love and the joy and the peace that I was seeking. I know all the places that they're seeking it at. I know they're not going to find it in that bottle. They're not going to find it in that back seat or in that hotel room. They're not going to find it in that nightclub. But I know where they can find it. And it's only found in one place. It's only found in Jesus. And so all they have to do is take the challenge to just reach out, to just reach out. That's the challenge. Reach out because 
I've, I, I have shown people that had no idea they were a part of a movement. They actually believed that they were born that way, but the truth is in them. And so when you reveal the truth to them, they start to see reality and they know that they're not born that way. We are, we're all born into sin. And, and if people want to believe that they're born that way, Jesus said, be born again. If people believe that that's who they are, oh, well, that's just who I am. Well, Jesus said to deny yourself. And so if that's what we're supposed to do, then we better pick up our cross, deny ourselves and get born again. David, it has been an incredible show. It has, I mean, your testimony, I am honestly speechless by hearing what God did to, uh, and, and the links that he went to get your attention. Thank you. Thank you for coming and exposing and lancing open this wound and exposing it to the disinfected of sunlight. Thank you for having me on. I, I, I relished in every opportunity to expose the darkness. You've been listening to the Unresolved Life Podcast. To catch all our past shows, go to unresolved.life. That's unresolved.life.